we're doing a series called Tools of the Trade, and it's about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the way God really wants us to, to lean on Him, to, to trust His Holy Spirit in all circumstances. And He provides us with these amazing gifts that we read about in Scripture to be able to um, make a difference, to extend His kingdom to establish and grow his church. And sometimes we get, we get stuck and think about it's you know, doing internal renovations with the church. But it's actually about um, building the church, growing the church, um, making it healthy and, and strong, but also stretching it. And so these gifts are actually used. And Jesus used every single one of these gifts in his ministry when the church was non-existent. Um, he used these gifts to advance the kingdom. And so, uh, so we've really been trying to... Um, trying to unpack the gifts, not from a, a theological position, there's, there's hopefully some theology in there, but from um, a position to really help us engage with these things, to actually believe and understand that they're for us to be using today. And this morning we've, uh, we've got a bit of a tricky one, um, which is why you know we've got the reinforcements here, but we're looking at communication gifts, so the gifts of teaching and exhortation. And part of the challenge with the communication gifts is pretty much everyone I've ever met loves to talk. Even the most extreme introvert, you hit the right topic and boy, they're going to talk. Quite interesting when you talk to people about, you know, they're, they're moving into a new area, looking for a church and um, predominantly they're measuring a church by what's said. The words that are used, for some people it's the time of the message. That's the pinnacle of a Sunday service, is what's preached. Uh, for other people, it's the conversations before and after the service. And they, uh, they're really, you know, whether I was valued, who paid attention to me. And it wasn't just who got me a cup of tea, it's what was the conversation like? Words we know and scripture tells us are really powerful. But what that means is that when we come to looking at the gifts of teaching and, and of exhortation, we actually have a whole heap of things, preconceived ideas and, and cultures and stuff that, uh, that can make it hard. But on the flip side, we also know and scripture tells us that when Jesus spoke, he taught with authority, with power. And people were amazed at his teaching because he taught with power. So we can think about uh, using our words and the power of our words to, to build life or to bring death. But we also, through the Holy Spirit, really want to understand what it is to use our words, our communication, our, our, what, we, what we say, for the ability to teach and to exhort through the Spirit. It's not about being a great salesperson. Um, it's not about being able to impart information. It's actually about exactly what Jesus did was he amazed them with his teaching because he spoke with power, that this Holy Spirit was able to actually operate and function in that space. This is a bit of a challenge because there's two sides of this coin. On one side, Paul says in Hebrews 5, in fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So he's kind of starting from the premise, all of you should be teachers. Why are we still on the basic stuff? You should all actually be teachers by now. You, you should have a, a foundation, a solid foundation to be able to actually teach. The flip side of that is uh, in James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So there's two sides of this coin. We all love to use our tongue, but be wary. The tongue is powerful and it's, uh, it can destroy as much as it can uh, create. So this morning, um, we're going to have a little bit of a journey. It's going to be fairly loose. There's some 
words on a bit of paper, um, but uh, we'll see where it goes. So just to give you the backstory, God's gifted me with ability to teach, but my space in exhortation is pretty average. I'm working on it. God's um, trusting God, and if, he's, if he wants me to exhort, then I'm happy to step into that. Um, it's just not a strength. Joel, on the other hand, is a great exhorter. Teaching's not his strength, but exhorting is something that I just am blown away with. I go, wow, that's, that's phenomenal. So we thought what we'd do today is, um, is tag team a little bit. It was amazing this week because um, as we've been spending time on the phone just talking through it, Joel's coaching me on exhortation and I'm coaching Joel on teaching. It's, it was, it's been a quite a funny dynamic to, uh, Matt, you really need to you know, push this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, that's really uncomfortable. Why is that uncomfortable? Oh, it's exhorting. <laughs> you know, share your heart, share your passion for teaching and why you love. Oh, oh, I, I, I've got some good scripture. I've got, okay, work on it. So anyway, we'll see how this goes. Um, please be gracious. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully uh, we're convinced that God has some really cool stuff that he really wants to share with us this morning. Um, the big thing in this space of communication gifts is posture. It is all about posture. Your orientation, the starting place, the, the initiative, the motivation for why you want to communicate with someone is what it's all about. We read that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But it's actually more significant than that because it's out of the treasures of the heart. And it's Luke 6.45. It says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. But the, the stuff that's full in there is what comes out of your mouth. So our posture, our position, our focus, our motive is actually what drives what we say. And this is so significant and this is exactly what, what we can see in Jesus' ministry. I really encourage you this week to read all of John 17. It's a prayer that Jesus has towards the end of his ministry, just surrendering everything that is done to God. And it's an amazing picture of his posture, of his heart. I'm just going to read verse 6 to 8. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of, this, out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. This was Jesus' posture. He went, God, it's Father, it's not about me. It's about you. You gave me the words and I shared them. And not just that, but you helped me so that they knew with certainty, so that they believed, so they understood who you were. It's an amazing place of humility that he came from, of obedience. Jesus was just surrendered to the Father and went, it's not about me. It's not about me. And it's really funny because last week when I spoke, I was excited. I loved what God put on my heart and I got up here and the PowerPoint wasn't working. The notes I had were three days old. It just was a mess. It was a train wreck from the start. And every single word that came out of my mouth was labored. It was just effort. It was, it was hard work. And I walked away going, whoa, what a waste of time. I just ruined 40 minutes of people's day. And then people started telling me about how significant what I shared was. Wow, that was like, who are you listening to? That wasn't me. That was, and, and I realized I got it wrong. I'd made it about me. I realized that in my labor, in my effort to do what I really felt God called me to do, 
I'd actually got the picture twisted and my posture was wrong. And it took 24 hours for my posture to change. But talking to some really good people, some people who were speaking truth into my life, I realized that I had the wrong motive. And Jesus constantly desired that the Father would be glorified. It wasn't about him. Those he was given responsibility for would believe, would receive, would walk in confidence. Do you know what? His strategy was really interesting. And we got a few lessons we can learn from Jesus talking strategy. He asked questions. Apparently read uh, 307 of them in the Gospels. He asked lots of questions. We're always quick to talk. But Jesus asked questions. It was phenomenal. He listened. He actually listened to answers. He told lots of stories. Why would he tell stories? Because they related to people. They were where they were at, not where he was at. He was, had intimacy with the Father, but they were far away. So let's talk about farming. Let's talk about rulers. Let's talk about tax collectors. Let's talk about things that are familiar to you. He actually met them at their place, not at his place. And, and an interesting thing is he talked a lot with people that wanted to listen. We often want to chase people down and fix them up, whether they want to hear or not. Tell them how it is. But even the Pharisees came after him. He didn't chase the Pharisees. Yes, there were time in the temples where, where they happened to be in the same place. But they actually came down from Jerusalem a long way to trick him, to trap him, to, to converse with him. He didn't hunt them down. They hunted him down. And so often when we, when we want to teach or want to exhort, we want to chase people down and shake them and tell them how it is. And yet Jesus gave people the space and the time and let them make their own choices and speak to them where they're at. It was phenomenal. It was really, really amazing. By the way, there was talk about us setting up a ring here <laughs> at the front and just see who won the wrestle. I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> so was I. It's all right. So I suppose that brings us sort of to the point of um, exaltation. So uh, this has been an area that was exalted toward me that I can exhort. So to me, that was very confusing from the start because I had no idea what that meant. I didn't understand why I saw things the way I did. I didn't understand why I was able to see things in someone that other people necessarily weren't saying to them. I thought this is very obvious at times. And I think that uh, the really dangerous thing about exaltation is that people might see it or overlook it and see it as lip service. And it's not, if you don't allow it to be lip service, that is. So what I mean by that is you might feel something for someone that sounds, the, I put that the wrong way. You might feel something or you might see something and you might just get sick of encouraging people. And you might, um, you might think that you're just saying things that are very obvious to them. A lot of the time it's not. Even Steve and I were having a conversation this morning about saying to people that God loves them and you think it's cheesy within church circles. But if you say that to someone who doesn't know God, who is very rarely in contact with God-driven people, it's not and it's so like just to back up what Matt's saying, there's a heap of power in what we say. And that's why I get in a lot of trouble. And that's why God can also use me a lot of the time in a really good way because we have a lot of power in our words. So, exhortation by definition, an address or communication empathetically urging someone to do something. Now, that does not do it justice in any way. Just, it's very plain by definition. It's just urging someone empathetically to do something. I mean, it doesn't say much to me. But in learning more about it, what I have seen is that when you exhort someone, that you come alongside them, you're actually drawing the heaven out of them. You're actually showing them the things that are in them that God's put there, that are like Jesus. You're reminding them of Christ-likeness. 
So it's not just saying, oh, you sing well, your hair's nice, or you're doing that well. I would call them encouragement. When you're exhorting someone, you are reminding them or revealing to them something that God has done that is birthed within them that, A, no one's ever said to them before at times, or B, um, they're struggling with. And very rarely do you find, and this is even with people that have been in the ministry for a long, long time, and I'll talk about one of them as an example. You speak to them and you go, can't you see this thing that is on your life? Can't you see what God's done, how he's designed you? And they can't see it. And it's really strange. And this is to people that have been born within the church, that that have lived this thing. And then you go and share something with them and you think, oh, I really thought someone would have told you that by now or would have, or would have uh, illustrated how you do these things. Now, this, they're not always comfortable things either. It's not always um, you have the gift of this and I think it's really good and it's amazing. Sometimes exhorting is actually calling them into quite a hard place, calling them into a place where God's going to chisel them and, and put them through the fire. And sometimes God gives you the words and he gives you what he wants you to exhort and exhort someone within and they're in the fire they're not in a nice place they're in a really hard place and he doesn't ask you to lick their wounds he asks you to exhort them which sometimes feels like you're pouring salt on them they don't want to hear anything about God because right now God to them sucks but God you can still see things that God is revealing to them in that time so for me and you can challenge me on this I'm quite happy with that but to me exhortation is spiritual warfare now, we get carried away with, um, if we're not, every different denomination, has, they have their ideas of spiritual warfare. I think spiritual warfare is everywhere. I think that we get, A, hung up on it too much, and B, we either get, sorry, too far hung up on it, or B, we too far remove it and don't think that it's actually a part of our walk. Every time you come against a non-truth in someone, a lie or an experience that they've had, that doesn't come from God. There's no fence here. There's no neutral ground that God nor Satan own. There's, that neutral ground doesn't exist. So if it's not of God, there's only one other place it can come from. And if you're coming against that and when you're exhorting that within someone, you're unchaining them. You're breaking the things off them, even if they flat out refuse to believe what you're saying about them. And I mean that when you're calling leadership out in someone. And I mean that when you're calling out, um, when you start to see gifts glimmering in someone and you, and you, you speak that and they go, no, I could never do that. I'm, I'm too full of sin or uh, I've, ha- I've got it wrong too many times. And even in the space of exhorting, you get it wrong. That's the thing as well, that you might call something and do it in the humanness and get it wrong. That might happen. But there's a lot of opposition against this. I guarantee you, if any of you after this begin to exhort other people, even especially non-Christians, you're coming up against a heap of boundaries of why what you're saying to them cannot be. It just can't be because of this, because of that. And sometimes they've never heard the words that you're saying, that someone can possess something that God has put within them, even if you don't use his name. When you start calling things out, now I've seen this in, in particular young people. I believe that we get attacked with the lies early, like really early. Because if, if you can box that person's gift in early, it takes first for them to break out and then they can start growing in it. So this is why I believe that exhortation, while it says that most of us should be teachers by now, then says few of you should be teachers because there's, you know, you're judged more harshly. I believe that we're all meant to be moving in this way of exaltation. Not that it is always easy for everyone. It's easier for others. 
but we can see we should be trying to do these things. And worst comes to worst, you end up encouraging people. Is that such a bad place? Your exhortation is never a, the enemy is doing this in your life and da-da-da-da-da-da. Exhortation is God setting people free or revealing to them who they are, who he says they are. You don't build it within yourself. These things come from God. And when they don't come from you and you get it wrong, most of the time you're just encouraging people anyway. So don't be afraid to be a part of this exhorting others and don't be afraid to think that if you're going to prop them up, you're not trying to prop them up so they're going to fall over. You're not trying to make people proud. This is where the posturing comes in. You want to set them free. And I want to keep saying that Matty's a great letter and a great speaker so that he just thinks it's all about him. That's not where your heart has to come from with this thing. Just to back up what I was saying, Hebrews 3 verses 13 says, be, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have to realize that it, it's literally saying encourage each other. So exhort one another day after day. And it's not because the result is, oh, you'll feel bad. The result is hard-heartedness and deceit of sin. These aren't my words. It's basically saying that if we aren't speaking life to one another, if we aren't speaking the things that we see, if we aren't claiming the things that God says, the result of that is being, the person being deceived and then them being deceived by the sin that they're in and their heart's becoming hard. I can't see or I can't hear. Or I would never speak in tongues or I would never do these things because I've got it wrong so many times. Or that, that there's just, You all have a story. You all have something. Don't be afraid to tear down those walls. Even if you're going to look stupid or the person wants to stay behind the walls, don't be afraid to knock at the wall because the walls will come down eventually. And then you will, you'll see God changing uh, or you'll, sorry, you'll see them changing. You'll see the God moving within them when that, that gift starts coming out. Anyone who's been in ministry a long time will have seen the progression of someone's life. And a lot of the time it's people speaking life into them. And that's the part that I believe is the warfare of it. Now, I don't think you need to get carried away in it, but your words are powerful and he gave them to you and he gives you words for people to set them free. Interestingly, yeah. it's, um, it's actually a, a battle in, in us too. Mm. Um, I j- just, just think about it for a second. The person next to you, think about something to encourage them right now. All right? And I did this exercise once a number of years ago. Someone said, okay, turn to the person next to you and encourage them. It's like, what am I going to say? And I realized how hard it was. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, how are they going to take it? What, what, what are they going to think about it? How's it? All of a sudden, I realized how significant internally this place of encouraging, which we go, surely that can't be that hard. But internally, there is, there is a battle going on in your identity, in your personality, um, and what you might think someone else might think of you. There's a whole heap that, that goes on in that space. And again, when you look at Jesus' interaction with people, um, very, very often his first thing that he, he says to them actually helps define them, gives them identity. He does things like uh, tells a tax collector that he's come around for a meal. That's where he starts the conversation. Why would you start the conversation in that place? Because he's someone of value and a, and, a, and a purpose. It was actually a very encouraging thing to say to that person. He gave him worth when no one else was giving him worth. And he does it time and time again. Most interactions Jesus has with people, he starts with actually, sometimes in a roundabout ways, um, but, but actually encouraging them, um, lifting them up, giving them purpose and identity and value. And yet, when you just think of the person, it could be your wife next to you or your husband, 
you just go, oh, what am I going to say? Oh, uh, I've got to work on this. I've got to get the right w- words right. I've got to, it's like, wow, how underdeveloped are those muscles or those, those parts of us that it actually takes me so much labor to be able to just share something of encouragement to someone. So there's actually an internal battle that goes on as well, not just a battle in someone else's mind as you share truth and love and hope and teach and, and encourage them, but there's actually a battle in us first, which, which I, I really struggle with. I go, that's not right, but it's something that I've got to work on. I've got to practice more than I've got to theorize. Does that make sense? Like I've actually got to exercise these muscles um, because um, the more I encourage, the better I get at encouraging and the more sensitive I am to what God wants to say in that space. Um, but yeah, I just yeah, I think that's that's really significant. And there's actually an internal battle in us that goes on too that we actually resist sometimes. So I suppose my example for that is that um, how long have you been in ministry? How long have you been a Christian? I've been a Christian since well, since I was in grade six. Grade six. How old's that? Twelve. Yeah. How long have you been in church leadership? Uh, since I was about, if you include youth, um, since I was about sixteen. So there was a mantle of leadership given to you from 16 till now. Yes, I'd agree with that in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't always agree with it at the time, but yeah. yeah. That was given to you and someone has, has called something out and said, Matt, you can lead in this way. Yep. 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 And that um, they are entrusting you to teach them. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Sometimes it's yeah. someone else entrusting me to teach yes, others, that's right. but yeah. Yeah, but they don't have to listen. Yeah. No, that's right. So if you, but you've seen people listen to yes. you. Yes. And still at this point, when, when Matt, Steve and I, we would meet together in the beginning of ID groups, we came up against an experience of just time where someone who is sh- as sharp as Matt, who is as good a teacher as Matt, didn't believe that he was able to do it. He didn't believe that people would receive it. He didn't believe... Now, this is obviously very personal to Matt and this is dangerous because I just go, but... Go for it. He found himself in a place of speaking to two young people who most of the time have no idea what's going on. It was amazing to see that our limited time is not an experience thing. This wasn't a, we didn't go to Bible college to, to receive this. But what God did in that time was lift the blindfold off Matt and show him that this burden is not too heavy for him to bear. That God called him out, that Jesus Christ himself put Matt, in, uh, in, in a position of leadership to lead this church, to lead these people. And for Matt, that was terrifying. And Absolutely. Yeah. And so he, he led from then a place of only his strengths, only what he knew to do. And we saw it early on where Matt, we struggled with, this is now, this is pretty full on now, but the transition from Mark to Matt. And that was really tough because they're polar opposites. Yet God doesn't care about that. We went through our transition and God put Matt in that place. And that is who God put there. That's it. That's the end. That's how it works. And that means that the mantle and the authority and all the other things were on Matt. And the thing is, Matt was struggling with all of these things. And what we're able to do by coming alongside him, because we love him, not because we're like, Matt, you're such and such. You don't see how silly are you've been in ministry so long. Because we care and we know that he's capable of more than what he thought he was. And he couldn't see it. Now, this is Matt. Matt sees things. Matt is sharp. He couldn't see it. And this struck me. I was dumbfounded by this because he couldn't see it. And there's still times where, like we all do, need to be reminded, Matt, you can do this. Like, you're coming down from the mountain of God. God is, he's the one that has put you in this place. Do you not trust him? 
He's been a father for a very, very long time. He's not going to give you a stone when you ask for bread. It is okay. And he has this and he has you in this place. And so for Matt, I don't know what it was like on the outset, like for those that weren't journeying that journey, but for him, a lot shifted, like a heap shifted. And I think that you could see that in how he carries himself as a leader of this church. And he was scared of becoming the polished preacher, scared of being the burnt out pastor. And these, these fears, because he's seen it happen before, and he's been around those that it's, he's seen them fall into this, he was terrified of that. And we had to remind him that Jesus doesn't burn out. And Jesus doesn't, he's not the one telling you to comb your hair back and wear a suit and all the rest, that it's okay, that he has you, and that he wants you for you in this place. And it was, um, well, I think it was incredible. But it only came through speaking the truth and exhorting Matt and calling out the things that we saw in Matt that God was saying are there. It wasn't us telling, we didn't tell him, Matt, get a suit, shine your shoes and uh, start strutting. We didn't start encouraging him in a way that's not him. We encouraged him and, and exhorted the things that we know God put in there. And then it was really about us being able to polish, help polish Matt, help to shine the really amazing things that God's doing in there. And what you do is you come up, what, at times you come up against lies and you come up against this experience where Matt would share, I'm scared of this, I'm scared of that. And that's what you come up against. And that's, that's going to happen. But that's, well, a lot's broken. Absolutely. And I think also that on the flip side, on the receiving side of that, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't actually want to hear it because I was in a safe place. Mm. My safe place was to deny what God was doing. Um, and so this is really significant when we speak the truth, when, when the Holy Spirit gives us something, um, when, we re- when the scripture comes alive. And I guess it's funny because I, I look at it from a teaching perspective. When you, when you have something, uh, that you, a, a bit of gold that God's given you to share with someone, it doesn't always get received the way you want it to be received. It's not always received. And again, Jesus had a range of experiences of what people did with the truth that he shared with them. But there was a real persistence in what Joel and Steve did in that space. They really sensed what God was saying and there would be numerous weeks in a row that we'd keep hitting this brick wall of, and they went, you're not getting it, are you? And I'm like, I'm not sure what you want me to get. I don't understand what you're trying to, to communicate. And then finally, you know, they, they persisted, they loved. They, there was no confusion about what the motive was. Their motive was 100% to see the best in me. And because of that, I kept persisting, going, I'm uncomfortable, I'm not quite sure, I'm confused, um, but I do want to receive. And so eventually, probably, I don't know, a couple of months, the, the message actually got through and I actually understood what they were encouraging me into and actually acknowledged that it was not them speaking, but God speaking through them. And it was actually a really powerful space and a powerful time. Um, but um, I think from the teaching side, I have a, a similar example where I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago and I, I love the idea that people can be given the truth. Like God has the truth all stitched up and sewn. He's not confused about what the truth is. We are. We wrestle with it. There's parts of it we understand. There's parts of it we wonder. And, and none of us actually have a full understanding of the truth. So when there's an opportunity for that light bulb moment, that, that revelation, that understanding of God's truth to 
become part of someone and transform who they are. I just, I love that space. I really get excited about that. And a couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with someone and, um, and we're talking and we're talking and we're talking and, and they went, wow, this is amazing. No one's ever shared this like, me, like, like the way you've shared this to me before. And I'm thinking, really? Like, is it, it's, there's nothing new here. But I realized that in that moment, there was that the Holy Spirit had actually done something through me and through my availability to give that person some time at their level where they were at um, in a way that meant something to them. That other people had shared information, had just given them some stuff, and it hadn't been absorbed in the way. And for me, that's really exciting. It happens quite frequently. People go, wow, I hadn't had it explained that way that meant something to me. And for me, the connection between the truth that's, that's definitive, that's not changing, um, actually being relevant to somebody who is changing and, and adapting is really exciting and is an amazing opportunity that I just, I just love to have those opportunities, love to have times where that happens. And, and so I guess my encouragement to you is, as I've been exhorted, I've actually seen opportunities that God has like I don't know how long these opportunities have been there for, but when I all of a sudden realized the potential of me that was raised up and brought to my attention, all of a sudden there's things that I can do that I didn't see I could do before. So just really encourage you in that space because there's an opportunity there that sometimes we don't see. Yeah, I suppose on a more, you know, we're not all, we're not all pastors and ministers of X amount of years who are waiting for something to be lifted off us, but in our day-to-day, the grind... There's a, another person that I've been put alongside and he is going through the fire like I haven't seen before. Um, we would often chat and, and, and talk and, and just, just talk about God and talk about Christianity, talk about Christians and talk about the ins and outs of how we do things and how, a lot of the time how we fall over and how we get it wrong. So it was, they were testing conversations, testing times. But then the fire, instead of us talking about why Christians do certain things and the things that suck and the things we don't like it started to begin in his life and the fire was really switched on in his life and then I found myself next to him um, being able to exhort in him the things that that he couldn't see because the fire was so hot now I can't go too much into detail but it's the uncomfortable time as well like where Matt was saying you don't want to hear it the life that he had seen or had pictured was falling apart and through most not of his own doing. So completely falling apart and then there was this opportunity to go, well, is this stuff real? Like is this, is everything that we've always followed, is everything that we've always talked about, everything we've always been taught, is it real? Is this stuff going to happen? And I was put next to him and going, I don't want to talk about God right now. I don't want to talk about Christians and I don't want to talk about the things of religion and man and how we've all got it wrong. I don't want to talk about this stuff. But God kept showing me that he was a very wise teacher, that in this time of him in his life burning up, he was okay. And that he was producing more fruit than I've ever seen him produce. That he was now stronger than I've ever seen him. That he is now actioning and instead of instead of renting an idea, he's owning an idea. He's not renting Christianity. He's owning his Christianity and he's not renting being a man of God. He was owning being a man of God, even when he couldn't see the fruit of being a man of God. And that to me 
was amazing and I was able to call that out in him. So I'm sorry if this is confusing because I can't give a heap of context, but there was a world on fire and him thinking it's falling apart, but then God showing me that he's a wise, strong, amazing teacher that in that time, that's not what we want to talk about, but that's what God was calling out. And so it's in those times of fire that God might put someone next to you or might give you a word for someone when their life seems to be engulfed in flames and you are having these things of God saying, actually, God really wants to say this. And it's not actually about what they're going through. He's not talking about that spot, giving you words and an illustration of who God sees them. And that's why um, you need to have these conversations in these really hard times. It's not comfortable because it's much easier to lick wounds. Much, much easier. It's an amazing blessing to be the person being able to exhort God saying, can't you have a look at who they are? Have a look at what I'm doing. Have a look at the great work like Habakkuk was able to see. That God said to him, I'm doing a great thing in the land. And God didn't fix everything in the land, but he said, look out and see that I'm doing a great thing. And that's what I was able to see in this person's life, even though he didn't fix everything in the person's life. And there's still fire to be had and there's still more exhorting to be done. And I'm still in that place and I'm so honoured to be in that place. And that's where we need to not be afraid to be proximate to the fire of people's lives and ready to speak into that place, even though their reaction may not always be good. Thankfully, it's really been good for us, but it's not always good. At the start, some people don't want you anyone near the fire. They want everything to burn up and they don't want to admit that they're going to come out of this a stronger and greater man of God woman of God and yes yeah, so you'll come up against things but don't be afraid to be proximate to the fire of their life when you're exhorting does that make sense yeah just because I realize we're, we we have we're, we're very comfortable having a conversation together um, and I want to make sure that we're not um, meandering too far off off the track just going to uh, summarize in some ways where we're going um, so firstly um, I think it's really important to understand that these gifts are used for advancing the kingdom. Our tongues are powerful as part of a tool from the Holy Spirit to actually make a difference in the kingdom. We have all been given a tongue. Yes, everyone here has. Um, some people um, might have had, had surgery on it or whatnot, but um, we've all been given a tongue um, and, and it is actually a powerful tool when given, uh, surrendered to the Holy Spirit um, to have an impact in people's lives. Whether it's truth that is foundational or whether it's encouragement and exhortation that actually brings out in someone, brings out the best of someone or brings out um, uh, something personal for them, it's actually really powerful and effective uh, way of advancing the kingdom. And we really, we, we need to understand it um, and exercise it. And that's really the space we want to want to be in this morning is, uh, is not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, and that we use the tools that we've been given really effectively. Um, so there are, some, there are some pitfalls in this space. There are some challenges in using our tongues. We know some of them. People get offended. Um, but in, in giving and, and keeping that posture of love and, and of selflessness, um, exhorters tend to be uh, really impatient. They, they tend to, why don't people get it? He, he said, said it before about me. Um, I, I don't understand why he doesn't get this stuff. Come on. Teachers 
tend to get stuck in the detail. They want you to know every single little piece of detail and the, the Greek original word and the, um, you know, they, they really want you to understand everything about it so you've got the fullness of understanding and dis, uh, distract people. Jesus always kept it simple, always kept it relevant, always kept it to point um, because he loved the person receiving the word. And I actually had a, like, we're, we're kind of demonstrating in some ways um, uh, the, these gifts um, in, a, in a quirky sort of way this morning. Um, but I actually had a picture this morning as I was praying. I hadn't shared this with you. But um, there's, there's two opportunities we have this morning. We can either be like two streams of water coming together to create a river through the words that we speak this morning. Um, or we can have a glass of water with two straws that we're just sucking out of, seeing how much we can get. Yeah? And in the end, the cup's empty. It's got nothing in it. Both of those pictures can be exactly this scenario with both of us standing here talking. Sitting. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the, the, the difference, our posture, our, our, our um, agenda can turn two people standing up front and talking, giving life or two people sucking life out of the situation. In exactly the same scenario, the exact same people doing exactly the same thing. And you realise how powerful our words are, but also, in terms of the pitfalls, how much we need the Holy Spirit to lead us. If we're not led by the Spirit, um, and if we're not prompted, and if we're not inspired and driven out like Jesus was, then it's, it's definitely a place where there's, there's selfishness, pride, um, offence, a whole heap of things that, that get stuck in there. So, is everyone still with us? I haven't lost you. Do you want to land the plane? Go for it. So, um, That's the note on our bit of paper, <laughs> by the way. Land the plane. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, we shouldn't have to harp on these things. And I don't mean that as in that anyone is... Uh, what I mean is we need to be open. Our minds, we need to be ready to receive this stuff. And that we don't, ha- there's, we don't need to harp. We need to trust God and trust... Um, the word with you guys because you have this and he he wants to do this these good works in your lives we have beat ephesians to death uh, this um series but i reread ephesians and realized that this, the the scripture that we've been using to back up a lot of this i didn't realize was an, a major exhortation exhortation to us um i'll just quickly read if you want to follow me it's ephesians chapter 4 10 to 16 he who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens all the heavens that he might fill all things. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all obtain attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, that's all the mumbo that we've been going through, okay? We, we hear that stuff and realize he's doing it for the church. It's good stuff, by the way. It's good. Well, the humdrum, I should say. We've been on this, and he wants that to edify his church. That's what it's saying. The bit that I think that we need to really hold on to here is that straight after it, which we don't often get to, is that uh, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness in Christ, so mature and fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love that's 
the two streams coming together. We are to grow up in every way into him. So we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from where the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is Paul writing. This is him talking to a church and, and exhorting a whole church, telling them to grow up because he loves them and he knows that that is how God wants to work through them, to no longer be children. He wants fullness of Christ for them, not just to be like Christ, fullness of Christ for them. It, I didn't realize it's a massive exhortation, this whole thing that we've been going, all, all of this. This is, the end of the, this is the end of this sermon series. And this is the part where we get to call out anything that's been going on inside of you, anything that's been called out or uh, you think that might apply to you or it applies to you. And it's time for it to come out. And, and, and the body needs to grow through these things. And that's where it comes from. And it's uncomfortable, feel like I'm harping on, but this is the part where you hear this and you realize it's not me, it's not Matt calling you out. It's God calling you out because he loves you and he's calling you into the things that you know or others have called out in you. And you're either not listening at all or you can't hear this. It's impossible to hear this and not realize that it's applying to you in one way or another. Now, it might be really fresh for you. You might be going, thank you, God, this is where I already am. That's awesome. But it might really be saying to you that there's gifts that we've been speaking about, that everyone who's put time into sermons didn't do it for lip service, that those sermons were done because we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit to edify his church, not to build the church up, just to be a big church, to build it up so it can go out confidently in him. And it goes out with these gifts to set people free. That's why they're there. What else are the gifts for? They're not there to make you look good. They do at times, but they're not there for that. They're there to set people free, to break chains. And exhorting people, teaching people brings the gifts out. So don't be afraid to use your gift to bring out other gifts. It's, he's building his church so that we can save, we can go out. It's, what, it's what's on Peter's heart. It's why Search to Find is so good. It's why we go to Chips Camps, Southern Cross Kids Camps. This is why we do it. And we have to bring these things out. And we have to see this, that Jesus is exhorting us, that God exhorts us every day. And it's not always comfortable, but that he does it because he wants to build you up, because he loves you. Did the plane land? Burn or did it land? It's on the ground one way or another. <laughs>